things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Damn. Let me start off with the regular stuff that I have to start off by telling you I'm coming to you from our studios, thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. I'm very disgusted. I am having a very bad day. I'm coming to you right now more than two hours before the New York Knicks play game five at Madison Square Garden. Why am I coming to you? Because it's over, that's why. It's over. It's over. That damn Julius Randle, the mistake waiting to happen, 22% shoot from three-point range, jacking up shots. When things ain't going right, nothing goes right for him. All of a sudden, defense is a problem. All of a sudden, foul trouble is a problem. All of a sudden, continuity and ball movement and spreading the floor is gone. And now the New York Knicks on the brink of elimination. Hell, by the time some of y'all see this, it might be over. This season might be over. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll win game five. But it's over. How the hell you're the bigger and stronger and a more physical team and a lighter team that's not nearly as physical, far more finesse, is bullying you? That's what the Miami Heat have done. As far as I'm concerned, it's a sweep because the only game the New York Knicks have won thus far in this series is when Jimmy Butler didn't play, which was game two. So if they end up losing game five at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night, Jimmy Butler will have swept them because every game he played in, they won. Assuming that happens. And if they lose, all they're going to do is go back to South Beach. And who's the hell to say they were acting right in South Beach? For all I know, that's the reason they lost games three and four. Because Miami is a legit distraction. And I'll be the first to admit that. But I'm just disgusted because let me tell y'all something right now. And I want to state for the record, I understand the New York Knicks bum rushed and beat down the Cleveland Cavaliers in the first round of the NBA playoffs Eastern Conference. I understand that Cleveland Cavaliers looked softer, they were inexperienced, and Donovan Mitchell didn't have his best series. But that doesn't negate the point that I was making all season long. Donovan Mitchell, if he were on the New York Knicks, I think he could have done some special things. Certainly would have been better than Julius Randle. Likely would have been better than R.J. Barrett. And the combination of him and Jalen Brunson could have done some things. And don't give me size and height and all of this other stuff. If Donovan Mitchell could be in the backcourt all season long with a Cleveland Cavaliers squad that finishes a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, he could have been in a backcourt with Jalen Brunson. I don't want to hear it. 
I don't want to hear it. So I'm pretty pissed off that this is what it comes down to, but that's life. And I get it. That ain't the only series I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers briefly as well, because I have to admit I am stunned with what I saw on Tuesday night, game five in Boston at TD Bank Garden. The Philadelphia 76ers, they beat Boston's ass. Start to finish. Joel Embiid playing like an MVP, 33 points, seven rebounds, four blocks. Tyrese Maxey, 30 points, a 10 or 21 shooting from the field, 6 to 12 from three-point range. Philadelphia's 4-0 this postseason when Maxey scores 25 points or more. Remember that. James Harden, just 17 points. A 2023 postseason lower, just eight shots. Took 10 assists, eight rebounds. James Harden has had three good games, three decent games, two spectacular games, one decent games, and two poor games in this series. Poor games two and three, great one, four, and five. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Philadelphia 76ers continue to play this way, they beat in Boston. I ain't ruling Boston out. I'm not dismissing the, the chance that Boston could go into Philly Thursday night and beat Philly. Because we know what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown could do. Along with Marcus Smart and Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon and Al Horford and those boys. We know what they could do. But Missoula's coaching them now, not Ime Udoka. So we don't know. We'll see. But the way Philadelphia looked, ladies and gentlemen, if the Philadelphia 76ers look throughout these playoffs, the remainder of these playoffs, the way that they looked in game five in Boston on Tuesday night, the 76ers could win it all. And I'm not saying they will, but they could. We can't rule it out. Then again, we can't rule out Miami. Miami. Because I never thought in my wildest dreams without Tyler Hero, without a Victor Oladipo, with Jimmy Butler leading the way, with them having a porous offense throughout the regular season, that they were coming to the postseason and be a top-rated offense at three-point field goals. Field goals itself. Offensive efficiency. I never saw that coming. So who the hell knows right now? It's up for grabs. This is what makes the NBA special. This is what makes the NBA special. Once upon a time, you had that big giant that everybody was shooting for. They wanted parity. They got it. We came into this postseason. Ten different damn teams could win the chip. That's what we said. Sure enough, it's true. Denver could win it. L.A. could win it. Golden State could come back from a 3-1 deficit. They could win it. Phoenix could win it. They still got Booker and Durant. And Monty Williams is finally using his bench. If that damn DeAndre Ayton could show up and act like he has a pulse, and that's a different subject altogether. The man lied. DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns. The man done booked this flight to head back home to the Bahamas and just didn't tell anybody. Because, my God, he looks sorry. I mean, damn. He sucks right now. Not as a player. I'm just talking about this series. He is getting his ass whipped. I mean, the, yoke, the, the Joker is putting it on him. Busting his living you-know-what. And beating him down the floor. You ever see Joker walk? Nikola Jokic? wobbling up and down, wobbling in the arena when, when he's just showing up the arena and just lollygagging up and down the court, it looks like. And sure enough, he's beating DeAndre Ayton down the floor. He's outrunning DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton looking slow as a snail, looks disinterested. He's pouting a whole bit. I mean, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker probably want to pull a Draymond Green on them with Jordan Poole. You know what I'm saying when I say that. They probably want to do something like that. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Because if he gave you anything, they could beat Denver. But he's not. 
It's a damn shame. It really, really is. But any of those Final Four teams in the West could win the championship. And in the East, we all know Boston, Philly, Miami could do some things. Now, to me, Knicks don't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning the championship. Miami has a lesser chance than most of winning it, in my opinion, without Hero and without Oladipo, even though Vincent and, 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 and Struess uh, um, and all of these brothers are shooting the ball pretty well. Even Duncan Robinson, let me not leave him out. Okay, along with Caleb Mark, can't leave him out. But the point is, you don't look at Miami and say, win it all. Eh. You certainly feel that way about Boston and Philly, along with the all, four, the all four of the teams in the Western Conference. So this is where we are right now. It's very compelling. It's very interesting. It's just that I'm not in a good mood about it because I'm a Knicks fan first. And the fact that the New York Knicks are ending up going home in all likelihood by the start of this weekend, if not Wednesday night, pisses me off. It really, really does. I'm disgusted. I'm upset. I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. I really, really don't. Because I had orange and blue skies, baby. Orange and blue skies on my mind. That's what I had. I got caught up again because I'm a native New Yorker, born in 67, a New York Knicks fan all my life, knowing they haven't won the championship since 1973, understanding that in 1999-2000, they didn't have a chance then because they were going against Tim Duncan and, and David Robinson and San Antonio, and we all know that Spreewell and Larry John Numbers wasn't going to beat. Tim Duncan and David Robinson. You ain't got hurt. We understood all of that. And so here we are, 23 years later, only two playoff series victories in 23 years. I had an afro, and I didn't have a speck of gray hair, okay? Everything in life was a little bit different, damn it. It was 23 years ago. I was in my early 30s, and it was orange and blue skies that I was fantasizing about. After years of Dave Checkets and Ernie Grunfeld lying to me so well, convincing me that there's somehow, some way they'd find a way to beat Michael Jordan, but that didn't, that didn't pan out. And as disappointing as it was, it made sense, because damn it, it's Michael Jordan. But to see them now, I mean, everybody beats them when it counts, other than Cleveland. I mean, I, I, I just don't know what to say. I really don't. But I'm going to take this medicine, because I'm a man. And I got to be real with it. And I got to understand that this is what comes with the territory. It's just a damn shame. It really is depressing. It hurts my heart. But I just got to deal with it, right? I got it. I got it, y'all. <sighs> want to take a moment to give props to Devin Booker. Didn't have the greatest game Friday, uh, game five, but I don't give a damn. Prior to that, he had been nothing short of spectacular. The light-skinned Mamba. That's what I called him, and I stand by it. Kevin Durant get it going. Ain't really their fault. They can't get DeAndre Ayton going. Chris Paul, they're not better without him, but they looked better in this series without him because with Cameron Payne at the point guard, you're able to quicken the pace. Not only that, with Chris Paul gone, you're forced to play your bench even more. So a Landry Shamit gets more playing time. And Terrence Ross gets more playing time. And T.J. Warren gets more playing time. And obviously pain. And that gives Phoenix a fighting chance if their big man showed up instead of acting like he was a little man. But that's what they got. And as a result, it is what it is. Before I get on out of here, because I got to get to an interview, this brother that I'm about to talk to is going to explain to you a couple of things. He might even talk about the Lakers and Golden State. He might explain to you and may convince you that Golden State is not finished, that they could overcome a 3-1 deficit. I'm here to tell you, I think they can. I don't know what's going to happen Wednesday night, game five. By the time you're watching this, okay, 
The game may be going on or the outcome might be decided. I'm doing this before that game. I think Golden State is winning game five. I think they're going to go back to L.A. Friday and win game six. And I think they are going to force a game seven. My issue is I don't know if they'll have it in them to beat LeBron James three times. But I will tell you this. Would it not be special if Steph Curry avenged a 3-1 lead that he ultimately lost in the 2016 NBA Finals to LeBron James by overcoming a 3-1 deficit himself this time and knocking off LeBron James in his 20th season in the National Basketball Association. It would seem to be poetic justice. And if anybody could pull it off, it's Steph. But he needs Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson, would it be nice for you to show up back to back in? What the hell are you, Anthony Davis now? You, don't show up to, you only show up every other game, which Anthony Davis was doing until he showed up in games three and four of this series? Is that what you're doing, Klay? Come on, get it together. Jordan Poole is another matter. It is a basketball travesty what Jordan Poole has done. He went from averaging 20 points in the postseason last year to averaging 10 this year. 9.9 to be exact. Field goal percentage shooting down, three-point percentage shooting down. He looks awful. More importantly, he looks petulant. This ain't about Jordan Poole's game. Bad times happen from time to time. The issue with Jordan Poole is that he seems to have become a problem after he got his money. See, his new contract, four years, $128 million, $123 million guaranteed. It don't kick in until next season. It doesn't kick in until this summer, off season. So he got his money coming and he knows it. Averaging about 28 million and how he acted. Turning his nose up at the media, acting like he's being victimized, acting like, you know what, uh, you know, people are bothering him and people are doing him wrong. No, you playing like trash and you ain't helping Steph Curry. And Clay Thompson did it maybe for one game this postseason. I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm not advocating violence. I'm not saying that what Draymond did by knocking him out before the season began when they got into a tussle in practice was the right thing for Draymond to do. It was wrong. It was inexcusable. Nobody knows that better than Draymond. But the way we see Jordan Poole acting, being about himself instead of the team, Causing the kind of distractions that I've heard he's caused. It does make sense why Draymond lashed out. Not saying he should have done it the way that he did, but it makes sense. It really does. Because Jordan Poole's behavior has changed since he got his bag. Who would be more appalled by that than a four-time champion who's going to six NBA finals? that are in the muck and grind of it all the whole way, and they're watching somebody act like they've done it too when they didn't. He was on the squad when they won the title last year, not when they won the first three. Just makes sense. Somebody needs to point that out. Hey, you don't believe me, believe my next guest. He's a former All-American at the University of North Carolina. He's a former two-time champion with the Houston Rockets. He's one of the elite basketball analysts this country has ever seen. And you see him at least a couple of times a week throughout the regular season, and more than that during the postseason, on the Emmy Award winning Inside the NBA on TNT. He's my brother. 
my friend, the one and only Kenny Smith, Kenny the Jet Smith. He's got a new book out, too. We're going to talk to him about that and about these playoffs in just a minute. Stick around. Don't touch that dial. It's no mercy. Stephen A. More with Kenny Smith. Amen. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. My guest, I gotta be official here for a second. He's a fellow New Yorker, a former McDonald's All-American. He won back-to-back NBA championships with the Houston Rockets, teammates, uh, a teammate of Akeem the Dream Olajuwon. He's now famous in another arena as a sports analyst on an Emmy Award-winning show inside the NBA on TNT. He's got a new memoir out that we're about to talk about. He's also my brother. Queens is in the building. I think that his brother, his big brother, Vincent, is one of the great, great coaches. The only blemish on his illustrious career as a coach, as a trader, is the fact that he coached me. Because that didn't work out too great. <laughs> I'm talking about the one and only Kenny, the Jet Smith. What's going on, big time? How are you, oh. man? What's going on, man? Queens, get the money. What's going on, man? <laughs> Queens, get the money. No doubt about it. Listen, man, we'll get into your blasphemy about your pick with the New York Knicks and Miami Heat in just a second. But we got to get the obvious stuff out of the way. You've written a new book. The title of the new book, Talk of Champions, Stories of the People Who Made Me. Talk to us about this book. You know what? For a long time, people have been saying that you're going to write a book, Ken, you're going to write a book. I always thought I could write a good article. Right. And then all of a sudden, I was like, you know, actually, after the George Floyd incident happened, mm-hmm. you know, someone's uh, literary agent called me and said, you have a book. I like, why? I was like, what do you mean? He said, why'd you walk off? And I was like, well, it was because of the people and the people who made me. So all of the things that I did, instead of writing each chapter like one, two, three, they're about all the great things I learned from these great people. And I, if I was like, if I knew this at 25, right. man, my life would be so different. <laughs> and then... Stephen, which was crazy, I always thought like the people around me, those were people that everyone kind of had access to. Mm-hmm. You know, Dean Smith, Bill Russell, right. Shaq, Charles, even today. Good friends of mine, David Cola, who runs a plumbing company, uh, the Cola family. You know, Guy Oseri, who manages Madonna's thing. I just thought that was normal. Right. And then I looked, I'm like, everybody I know has a, ri- a book written about them. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. And so... You know, it's just that I, I wanted it, Stephen, like when you read it to go, I feel better about myself mm. because now I know why I'm a champion when that works. I get it because Jordan does this. Barkley does it. Shot. And it's so poignant and they all point to the same way. And a lot of people just don't know how to self-help themselves. Mm. And now they get an opportunity to hear it. The stories of the greatest people who I just thought were regular people until about maybe 10 years. I said, man, I got a nice phone book. (laughs) Mm. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because you're talking about this book being inspirational and motivational and basically being a self-help book. But you prefaced your comments by saying you were told you had a book and you were convinced you had a a book in you 
after you walked off the set. And for those who don't know, let me remind them, George Floyd obviously is murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, obviously, social justice issues were really percolating at that particular moment in time uh, more than it had at any time in recent memory. Uh, protests were going on all over the country or whatever. And you were on a set of TNT and you said that you felt it was appropriate for you. You thought it was not appropriate for you to be there that day. So you got up and walked off the set. That is what transpired. As you reflect on that moment, talk to us about how that moment for you really, really crystallizes and percolates for this particular book, this memoir that you're writing. Well, it, it was kind of um, an interesting day because, you know, like you said, it was the most, you know, poignant moment. And, you know, for us in our lifetime, you know, the you know a younger generation of social justice. And so, uh, you know, we, we had a show that night and we, I come to this. I came downstairs from the hotel. The, the doorman was like, hey, Kenny, how you doing? You need your car. Yeah, got my car. Got to the door, got to the gate and the security gate of TNT. Hey, Kenny, we'll let you in. So everything felt normal. And then when Ernie started the show, and I had no idea that I was going to do that, Stephen, at the time. Yeah. Ernie starts the show, and he's like, huh, live from inside the NBA. And everything felt normal. And I'm like, today's not normal. I can't make it normal. I just can't be on TV and be a talking head. So I got to join the march. I got to join it instead of just hearing about it and talking about it. Join it. And I think that would be more uh, significant. And to me, it was. And then it started to reflect like, well, the story about Dean Smith and him talking about apartheid when I was in college and the story about, you know, Michael Jordan talking about how great he's going to be. That's why I walked off. It wasn't just that moment. It was like mm -hmm. all of those moments of these people that I met and, and it really influenced my life. And then I go into other things about being a mm -hmm. champion, mm -hmm. obviously, as well. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember calling you at that particular moment in time and you had to educate me because, you know, we boys. So we talk all the yes, time. Sir. And I remember saying, Kenny, you sure that was the right thing to do because your voice is so important. It's needed. Are you sure you didn't need to be on that set? And then you explained to me and it made perfect sense. So I completely agree with you. How did Charles and, um, and, and Shaq and Ernie feel about you walking off the set that night? Well, it's interesting because that's in the book as well, because yep. I think that, you know, I, I thought at first Charles and um, Shaq, even Charles has said it publicly that he felt blindsided a little mm -hmm. bit because, you know, he should have known. But I think when you're when you're trying to do something that's correct and something that's socially correct and morally mm -hmm. correct, you don't you don't you don't seek approval from anybody. You right. know, you yes. just go do it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I'm saying? You just do it. And I'm not I wasn't trying to seek approval, honestly, from them as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about it openly. And the one thing about, you know, Chuck and Charles, especially Charles, because we've been together a little longer than Shaq, mm -hmm. is like we talk and we have a dialogue that's so honest that it's like it, he is a brother of mine. Because right. and I and I told him, I said, Chuck, the reason I walked off is because of you. Mm -hmm. He's like, what? I said, yeah, before you came on the show, I didn't I never had a social or, uh, or a moral voice. I only mm -hmm. had a basketball voice. Mm -hmm. Now you gave me a voice and because I used it, you can't be upset with it. Mm -hmm. And what did he say? 
And then he agreed. He still agreed to disagree. He said, you still should have told me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, just, it was just about not telling him. You know, He's so funny. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about you being a basketball voice. But I can tell you I've known you for more than half of my life. And mm. I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I've never viewed you as just a basketball guy. Because even mm. when you're breaking down basketball, you're bringing such in-depth knowledge and such a perspective that transcends the sport that I've always viewed you as somebody far deeper than just breaking down basketball from an analytical perspective. Did you, are you trying to say that you really, really didn't get to that point where you were convinced that was you in your mind until recently? Yes. In this, in this regard, I always had to, um, I always had to in, infuse it into what I was saying. Mm. Now I'm being asked about it. Difference. Mm. Where before, when Charles, before Charles came, I had to infuse my moral, my social, my thought process into the game. Mm -hmm. But now people will just ask me, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you mm -hmm. think about this particular thing in social and, and, and economical or whatever? Yeah. Where before that, they, I had to infuse it. And so I think now, um, I, I thank Charles every day for that, even though I disagree with that dude on a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, but I do agree on him with some stuff. But I think the voice that he he allowed our show to have mm -hmm. add kerosene to a fire that was already there. Yep. But he just put kerosene on it. And now it's like, yo, it's raging every mm -hmm. time we come on. You know, it's interesting because I look at you guys inside the NBA on TNT. First of all, Ernie Johnson is an institution, one of the most wonderful people that you'll ever meet mm. and obviously a Hall of Famer in this business. He is just that dude. Shaq speaks for itself. Chuck speaks for itself. And obviously you do. So many times people have looked at them and they say it's Charles Barkley. It's Shaquille O'Neal. But now, more than ever before, it seems like your voice has been raised and you've elevated to a point where everybody's got their thing. Chuck's got his thing. Shaq's got his thing. You've got your thing. Do you sense that 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 equilibrium, for lack of a better word, has really, really come into focus when you look at your show. And I ask that with all humility because we got an NBA show on ESPN. We're doing quite well. Yes, I got something to do with that. Damn it, I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder for that. <laughs> but, but, in the, but in the same breath, I tell everybody, all of those dudes over there at TNT are my boys and they've set the standard for years. We pay nothing but homage to them. How do you well, feel about yourself? That. How do you feel about yourself in the role that you're playing now more than ever? Well, I, I always, you know, you know, I know you're a boxing fan too, so I, I'll equate yep. it to boxing. Yep. Charles, Charles and, and, and Shaq, they're, 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 they're the um, George Foremans and Mike Tysons. They're knockout artists. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yep. so they're going to say one thing that you're going to remember, and it's going to be headline news for days. I'm Floyd Mayweather. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm all day. I'm jabbing you all day right. with information and, and knowledge that sometimes if you're, not a, if you're not there for the knockout, you might miss. But if you stay for the fight, you're going to go like, yo, this dude put us in throughout the whole night. He put us mm -hmm. through information. I'm Floyd Mayweather. I'm, I'm, the, I'm on the money team. And That's then, right. I, and then um, Ernie is probably Angelo Dundee. He's like, he's taping us up and putting the things on when we start believing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, oh, champ, you're in the corner. Let me put, let me that's patch right. you up. So, but that's our roles. And I know that I'm an informational guy. 
that I'm going to uh, sometime, you know, I got to knock out punch every now and then. Right. But but my thing is like, I'm just jabbing you all night and I'm giving you that information <laughs> all night. I got to tell you, man, I, I mean, listen, first of all, it ain't just an information. I love it when you go to the screen, when you're <laughs> doing it, like it's like the big ass telestrator for crying out loud, right. especially when you go in and it, and, and, and the technology got you looking like you on the court with the players. It's right. real hype, the whole bit. And the greatest compliment that I could actually give to the entire show they could come to me. This is hypothetical, of course. Kenny, they could literally come to me and say to me, they want me on TNT. And I wouldn't want to be on there unless the three of y'all were, the four of y'all were on there. Like oh, nobody yeah, no, will no. want, nobody no. will want to replace y'all. It's no, no, too, per no. it's too perfect. It's like, it's a perfect marriage. So let's get back to this book because when we're talking about this book, what role did TNT, meaning your role on that show, play in your mind in you writing this book you play for the great Jack Curran and mm. Archbishop Malloy before Kenny Anderson the great Kenny Anderson got there by the way you went down to North Carolina with Dean Smith okay alright <laughs> while you you were teammates with Jordan for crying out loud and then obviously you go into the NBA as a first round top seven pick when you look at your career at TNT however what role did that play in you wanting to write this book it, it was it was another it was another three chapters because it, it it exposed me to be brothers with Charles and Shaq and and Ernie. So it exposed me where before I was with like you just named look at the people just named that I was right. associated with on a daily basis, Stephen. Not like right. oh you get a call. Hey, no, Dean Smith every day in his office. You know Jack Curran every day in his office. You know Bill Russell every day in his office. Who, you know, and it's in the book, you know, the story he told me one time, Stephen, we're, we're talking and he's looking at these papers because he was the general manager. First of all, he drafted me. Now right. he's the general manager. And his rule was I had to sit next to him on every flight and every bus ride. So wow. I sat next to him on every flight and every button. So he's looking at these players from overseas and I'm looking at him and I'm going, coach, you telling me there's no guy in Alabama. You going all the way to Europe. And he, and, and he looked at these guys. Here's a guy in Alabama. just And he stopped me. And he goes, Kenny, as an African-American, you can never not want inclusion. Mm. And so now he takes a basketball moment to give me a moment that I take in my whole life now. Like, wow. I changed my whole direction, the way I talk, the way I think because of that one sentence about a joke I was making about Europeans. Then you go to TNT and you add those comments like the Shaq makes that. You know, I, I'm like, Shaq, you don't get tired of seeing yourself on TV, bro. Like all these commercials, he's like, Kenny, I'm in a, we're in a window that you only eight years. So you have to maximize as a business. So he, now he's teaching me about business where right. I'm thinking, I'm going to talk dunks with this dude. And he's telling me how to be a better <laughs> businessman for an hour. Magic Johnson, the same thing when he was here. So TNT allowed me to just have great relationship with the world's greatest people. You've always been one of the best brothers I've ever known in my life, personally. Appreciate who's had you. the biggest, who's had, always, brother, who's had the biggest influence as it pertains to the man that you are and the man that you've become? My mom and dad. Because they taught me that, you know, I would have never noticed these people that I've met, but they taught me how to listen. So they list, they like, Kenny, you got to listen. 
You got to listen. So when you listen, you start to hear things that you probably didn't know was coming. And then it allows you to move in a different direction. And that's what I think the great thing about our show, Stephen, is like, I, I've been on other shows and they got, Kenny, you got 15 seconds. This guy got 15, this guy. I'm like, but what if he says something in the middle of his 15 seconds that I hate? Right. I can't change my thing. They're like, no, nope, right. you got to go with your point. So <laughs> right. now my mom and dad taught me how to listen. And then that allowed me to be. And so I would say because of them, they've made me the person I am and uh, hoping, hopefully teaching my children to be that same person, be listeners before speakers. I'll give you another great compliment. You encourage other people to want to listen. Mm. Um, you know, I, obviously, I, you know me. I've been as raw as they come. You've known me <laughs> yes, for indeed. all of these years. You know how I roll. Um, and, and when I was getting on Kyrie Irving, you called me about that and had a call and talked with me about that. Well, guess who rolled up on me at the Staples Center a couple of weeks ago? I'm sorry, the Crypto.com Arena Who's a that? couple of weeks ago. It was Kyrie. Wow, we shook, and, and, we shook, we shook hands, and we spoke for a minute. And I'm, and and and, and you know, I'm going to talk to, I'm going to talk to pops in right. a few weeks as well. well. Well, because of you, well, because well, of you, I, I will say this, Stephen, because you know, Kyrie and you know, and his dad, you know, always New Yorkers. I yep. know them, but we're not. I don't. I, I know a lot of people around Kyrie, but me and Kyrie don't talk. But right. I, when I called you, I just was like, bro, like we're all cut from the same cloth. So actually, yep. when we're di- when we're discussing him we're discussing us the same yes. he has the same mentors that i had and that yeah. is and d had his, his dad and, and and we all in the same circle so That's i right. was just like let's fix it I, and, I, yeah. and I, I never talked to them about it i never right. talked to anybody i just talked to you and, and this yeah. is the first time publicly that we even talking about it because right. i thought it was important that if we're all cut from the same cloth there's something that and I know that we all have this stubbornness about us too. Yep. You know that we're here yeah. on us yeah. because you yeah. learn from the, you learn from Vince. Right. Vince learned from yeah, him. So we got this right. stubbornness about us that is injected yep. that we're not going to accept certain things from right. certain people. And right. and so, but we we are each other. I am Kyrie Irving in a sense. You know, yep. I, you are him. I am Stephen A. So I could never talk bad about Stephen A. because. Like that guy, the people who influence him influence me. That's, yeah. it, so it makes no sense. Ross Strickland, Mark Jackson, yes. we all the same, man. Like, so it's important. I'm glad y'all did that because now yeah. we feel whole because you did yeah. that. I feel better yeah. by hearing you say that. It makes me feel better. So when I call yeah. Rod right after this and be like, Rod, what's going on in college? I don't feel like I'm faking anything. And I'm going to fix it, too. And the fact of the matter is you, those are the exact words that you use when you call me. You said we all cut from the same cloth. And you know how much I love Rod. Right, exactly. You know how much I love my man Gary D. Howard, right. Reggie Howard, you, the Vince, the whole Thank crew. You. So I'm like, Thank I said, you. I got it. Thank I looked you. at Kai. I said, I got it. I got Thank it. You. I'll deal with it. No question about it. But still you know, do when, your when, job. And I, that's of what course. I said. If, he, you if he's mean. in the news and he needs to be talked about as a basketball player or something else, you got to do your job. Mm. But, you, do but, your job. but we can't get to the point where we feel emotional about it. And, 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 yeah. that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's fair. No question about it. And as I look at it and I look at and I read this book, um, I'm thinking about all the lessons that you've tried to espouse upon people. When you think about the effect that a book like this could potentially have on the basketball community. What is your desired effect? This book right here that you just wrote, your memoir, what effect do you want it to have on your brethren, 
meaning the basketball community. Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, from, from an ownership standpoint, team owners, like understanding the dynamics of people. And so, you know, when you understand the dynamics of people, then you're going to you're going to lead them better. You know, I had a, I had a uh, I coached AAU, as you know, and, you know, from you, my brother, fifth grade, sixth grade, all the way up in yep. high schoolers. And there was a yep. sep- there was, a, there was a, a, a seventh grade parent that was barraging me one day like my son's not playing, Kenny. And, da, 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 and I stopped her and I said, listen, I'm never going to have a basketball conversation about because I just going to feel I'm always going to know more. Than you okay. in the basketball. However, do you know that John leads the team in stretching? He leads the team in this. He, they, when I when they when he called the timeout, he's the one who I give him more power as a person that he would ever get as a basketball player. And that's what the head yeah. of IBM. He's doing things that the head of IBM, uh, the head of ESPN, TNT. That's the quality they're looking for. So, do you want mm-hmm. your son to be a decent little college player, or do you want him to be the head of TNT? You tell me. So that's what I want to instill in the basketball community is that like there are certain things that are qualities that are important for the 12th man on the team when you're getting to have as well as your superstar he has to have. Those are championship talks. There are there are things that the 12th man on the team when I was at North Carolina, he made me a first team college basketball player. If I'd never heard him say that, the guy named James Day or whatever or or or, or going down the list, I would have never been that. So you mm. got to implement everyone into your system to being a champion. It is, it's the secretaries. It's like everyone. When I used to call a Carolina basketball office, Stephen, right. the secretary answers the phone. Hey, Kenny, what do you need today? Are you good? Are you okay? That is what champions are made of. That's what this book is about. Mm, got you. I once I read that you said you once imagined what it would have been like if you played in Chicago yes. in the NBA with Michael Jordan. Is that true? What's that about? Yeah, I wrote that in a book. I I'm, I was jealous of Scottie Pippen my whole basketball career. Because wow. I was a sixth pick. He was a fifth pick. And mm. and you know, at that time, you know, I I I don't know if it, it wasn't failing a physical, but they weren't sure because the doctors were saying, oh, he'd only have a two-year career based on his, his knee, his ankle, whatever it was. But then you go to another team, and they, this is before there was one, one different um, doctor that examined the same right. player. I'm the reason that the rule is like that because I was able to mm. do multiple things, and they were getting all these multiple reports. So I was jealous that Scottie Pippen got to play with Michael Jordan because mm. I knew that I needed a guy like that to go, Kenny. You got to push yourself harder. Kenny, like some people have that innately in them. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy, I know who I was. I'm the guy that if you say, we're going to do 100 laps, I'm doing 100. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm not complaining well, about one. Well, and I needed that push. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let me career. ask you this. You watched The Last Dance like everybody else did because it came on during COVID and it saved all of us because sports wasn't going on at that time. We got to thank Michael Jordan every day, all day for that one. Was that an accurate depiction of Michael Jordan in your estimation? Or was there a lot of stuff left out that really shows you, that really would tell you how dogged he was about committing yourself to winning? Well, the Michael I know, you know, again, I had a, I had different runs of times, periods, you know, obviously never played with him, but all in the summer times. That was, an, a, you know, a very accurate depiction plus some. But, you know, if, if you don't want to be part of a championship mix, a lot of people say, I want to be a champion. I want to have the best business. 
but the sacrifices and the and, and the and the things that you have to do to get it sometimes are out of reach for you because it's really not an internal mm-hmm. element inside you. And then when you realize you got to do it, they're like, I don't want to do that to be a champion. I don't want to do that to be the best. Right. I was I understood when I saw Michael, when I saw Dean Smith, when I see Bill Russell, I understood that there's a quality that I might have that I'm missing. And that's also a tough part to to accept for certain people. But to be a champion, you have to also know what you're lacking, not what you have. And so I'm like, if I have Michael Jordan next to me, I'm in that 6 a.m. morning club with him. I'm lifting weights. Hey, after the game, we talking, we talking stuff to everybody. Like I'm, I'm part. Like I, I, I need that. Mm-hmm. I, I needed that extra element. So yes, accurate depiction. Michael is the competitor of all competitors, but he's the first guy who can back it up. He's a, he it up and that's day. why I have him number one all time. And I have somebody like LeBron James as number two. What's your list? <laughs> My Mount Rushmore is Jordan. LeBron, Kareem, Russell. That's where I'm at with it. What about you, Kenny Smith? Well, I'm a prerequisite with this comment, though. My list is going to be based on the fact that I'm old enough to have lived through everybody's moments. Okay. So I understand when he shot the shot against Craig Elo, I understand what Cleveland was at the time. When So, you know, so yeah. my son, who's watching the shot, he goes, well, it's a shot. I'm like, no. Cleveland was the team that was yes. about to be the next team. Mark Price, he, Larry Nance, Brad right. Doherty, hell yes. And the shot that he took made them dismantle the team. Think about that. So the Knicks were going to be the next thing, but he made them go, Patrick doesn't have enough. And, you know, so like, I understand what the moments, but I understand what that means for LeBron too. Right. I understand what Detroit was. I understand. So the greatest player alive in my generation I can't really go to Will Chamberlain because I don't know what those moments meant or Kareem as much. But Michael Jordan is the best player in our generation because I understand what the moments meant when he was doing it. And LeBron is 1A mm. because the moments, mm. m- the, moments were, uh, the moments that he's doing the greatness, the same greatness for me personally or just a step below. Some just people. Step below. Some people keep saying we're doing a disservice by not including Kobe Bryant in that list. Where do you fall in that discussion? Well, I think the, the late great Kobe Bryant. You know, if you say who's the best two guard in the NBA, even when Kobe was around, they would say it was Kobe, who was the second best. They would never say that he would like. They will. This is how about this? We always compare everyone to Michael. We used to say, can Kobe be Michael? Right. We never said the opposite. Exactly. So, so he is the measuring stick. Michael is the measuring stick, even for LeBron. LeBron is the measuring stick. I mean, Michael's the measuring stick even for LeBron. So when you become the measuring stick, I think that's where it's going to be a point now. LeBron keeps, this dude is unbelievable. Yep. The longevity. There's no one done it, Steven, as long as him. Nobody. But he still ain't getting the edge over MJ to me because you got six yeah. NBA Finals losses. Okay? Yeah. You yeah. were in the Finals against Dallas. You didn't have a great performance. I don't hold San Antonio against them. First go round. I don't hold that against them. I don't even hold the second San Antonio loss against them because D-Wade wasn't 100%. Okay? Can't hold the Golden State losses against them because we know he was compromised with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving being out. But I can't hold the Dallas series against him when Dirk Nowitzki and them took him out in 20 
2011. I can't hold that against him. Jordan didn't have those moments. He just didn't. I, I don't even hold those against him. I just say that Michael's moments in those moments were just a little more intense watching it, okay. as, you know, as a generality. Mm -hmm. General, but we're talking about, we're splitting hairs. Right. Like, like, we're talking about the greatest or maybe the greatest. Right. We're not talking about LeBron James' right. career compared to Kenny Smith's career. That's like, right. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, and that's why I, that's why I try to tell him. Time. I try to tell him all the time. This is not an insult. That's why when you see me on first take and I've got the tick on a great father, great husband, great movie, great actor, great director, great businessman. I'm like, damn, how, how many compliments do y'all want me to give you? I got you yeah. in the history of the game. I got one player above you in the history right. of basketball. The history and, of they basketball. and they consider it <laughs> hating. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But, but Kenny, having said all of that, I'm not going to lie to you. I know he doesn't compete. He's not a part of this conversation. But I got the light-skinned mamba. That's what I call him. De Devin Booker. This brother is something. And this is a separate conversation because we know we understand Devin Booker ain't there yet. But what I'm seeing from this brother in these playoffs is something to behold. Yes. And to me, the future in Phoenix with him and KD as the cornerstones for those franchise, for that franchise, is beautiful. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing? Yeah, uh, well, the, he's a three-way scorer because, you know, now we see that he can push the ball from free throw line to free throw line. Where when he's playing with Chris at times, he doesn't have to do that. But when he's playing the ball from free throw line to free throw line and has the ball as the initiator, we're like, oh my gosh, we didn't know he had that. We didn't know he had that inside of him. So, you know, the, the great thing about Chris Paul, when he comes back, he's a Hall of Famer, a, a, a student, a, a Savannah yes. basketball. Yes, he is. He's going he's gonna to be able to figure out how to do that while he's there. But from free throw line to free, we know he could catch and shoot. We know he could two dribble you. We may even three dribble you. But I didn't know he could go from free throw line to free throw line and create havoc until this year. But look at his game. I call him the light-skinned mamba because I think his game imitates Kobe to some degree. Kobe had to play point at one point in time where guys got injured and he had to show you what he could do. We knew that he could score. We knew he could go from free throw line to free throw line and do what he's doing. The pump fakes, the spins, the open court uh, excellence, the three-point pull-ups, the whole bit. I'm seeing that from Devin Booker right now and it's spectacular to watch. The only thing that separates Booker from a Kobe or even like when Paul George was in his heyday, is the size. Yes. Because he, he's not going to always have the size advantage against the guy guarding him. With Kobe, 99% of the two guards in the league are not going to be 6'7". And then if you put a small forward on him, he's too, small, too slow. So with Devin, you maybe could put some physicality that he doesn't just... I'm just more physical than you tonight right. when my shot is off. Right. That's the difference between him and Kobe. Is Kobe is like when his shot is off, he's like, oh, I'm going into the post mm -hmm. and I'm just too big and too strong for you. How shocked have you been by what you see from the Lakers? Not shocked. This is who they are. Like, the like great or inconsistent. This is who they've been. You know, and, and it's really two letters. A, D. You yes. know, yes. it's just two letters. Up because, down. hey, Steven, it's kind of weird. Like, I was saying this to Chuck last night. I was like, it's like going to an Usher concert, right, in Vegas. And he's hitting every note, you know? He's mm -hmm. hitting every note. And then the next night you go and he's falling on his skates and yes. he's not. I'm like, wait a minute. This was Monday. This is Wednesday. Like, it's the same show. Like, why aren't you hitting the same notes? Right. And but because he goes so 
to the stratosphere of greatness, you think that he would never be average. Mm. And I think that's the problem that, 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 not even problem, that's the thing that's baffling that you go, man, how does he get average though? Like, mm. When he's so in the stratosphere of greatness. That's right. It makes no sense whatsoever. And I got to yeah. tell you this, too. I've, and I brought this up, and I'm not apologizing for it. I said, if Steph Curry finds a way to win this series, and Steph Curry finds a way to win a fifth championship, we might have to start talking about him on the Mount Rushmore. We're talking about the greatest shooter that's ever lived. We're talking about you having to put your head on a swivel because his movement without the basketball is sublime. We're talking about a brother free throw shooting, perimeter shooting. Again, the greatest shooter the game has ever seen. I don't think anybody would debate that. If he wins, it would give him one more title than LeBron. He tied with Kobe and Magic, okay? Okay? Five championships and seven trips. I got to pay attention to that and look at the impact that he has on the game and say to myself, excuse me, it's not at least worth a discussion that when when we talk about the Mount Rushmore of basketball, he might warrant consideration sometime in the future. I'd have to agree um, because what he's doing is excel. He, he's propelling other players around him to be at levels that they possibly might not have been if they were with mm -hmm. him. You know, Jordan Poole, Draymond even, maybe Clay. I right. don't know if Clay, but Looney. Yeah. Like he's propelling guys into areas that stratospheres that they probably wouldn't have done. Gary Payton, uh, the second, like those kind of stratospheres that he probably wouldn't have done if he wasn't there. Transitioning to the East. I still have Boston as the best team out there. What about you? Yes, I do. I, I just think that, you know, I think if you look at Boston, you know, those two guys, arguably in the last six years, have had the best runs between Brown and Tatum in the last six years. They've been to conference finals multiple times. They've been to NBA finals. No one else could say that they've had a better six-year run than those two guys. So, yes, I would agree. And I'm, I'm not betting against them based on that. Mm. <sighs> I was hesitant to bring this up to you, but you know I was going to. The blasphemy that? that's come out of your mouth. The queen, I mean, we're supposed to be brothers, man. It's supposed to be New York Queens in the building, man. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you got the Knicks. And, and listen, it looks good. It looks like a good prediction. It's totally emotional on my part. I'm aware of this. I know this. But damn it, we got to give them the mojo any chance we can get. We have suffered long enough, Kenny Smith. The New well, York Knicks got one the playoff. Round. The Knicks got one playoff series victory now, two, in 23 years. 23 years. And while this momentum was riding, you got to bring us all down to earth by talking about Jimmy Buckets and, and Miami and how they're going to take the Knicks out. Well, I'll, I would say this. If I, was, if, I, if I went on emotion, I would never not, I would always pick North Carolina, Houston Rockets, and, and the New York Knicks. Right. So I had to, when it first round, I really thought they were going to win. I did 100%. So did I. So to second round, I'm looking at what Miami is doing and I'm like, I don't know if they can get by that. And it hurt my heart because you saw me hesitate. Right, right. Because my, my emotion was going to say, and, Knicks, and go I do your and, and, and I text you immediately. I text you immediately. I didn't During even let you show. get off the air. During the show. During the show. But I, I, my mind said, the pieces around Jimmy Butler are better than the pieces right now around both Jalen Brunson and and and, and um, 
Julius Randle. I just felt I, that way. I'm down on Julius Randle, man, because do you know I looked up the stats over the last three postseasons? Over the last three uh, postseasons, he has the worst shooting percentage of anybody who's attempted more than 100 field goal attempts. He has the worst shooting percentage of anybody at 32%. Well, he he's a, well, he's a tough shot taker. I think when he when he takes simple shots, he's great. Mm-hmm. But when he takes tough shots, I think he's just good. Mm. You know, he's or average. But when right. he concentrate and on his shot selection, I think he's probably, you know, top 10 power forward, top 5 easily at times mm. power forward. But mm. when he when he he's a, when he wants to be a top tough shot maker, I don't think he's as good, without mm. question. So I totally agree with you, but I'm very proud of Jalen Brunson. I'm very proud of the job that he's done. I, as good as I expected him to be, I didn't expect him to be this damn good. It says yes. a lot about I'm very, very proud of him. But I got to get back to you in the book before I let you get on out of here. Talk of champions, stories of people who made me. The memoir written by the one and only Kenny the Jet Smith, star of TNT's Inside the NBA. Um, is it true that you actually think that you – and Olajuwon and the crew would have beaten the Chicago Bulls in the finals if Jordan was there and had it retired? Are you telling me that team would have beat Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls? First of all, you know, yes, we would have beat the Chicago Bulls, I feel. But I'm glad we didn't play them because it would have hurt Michael's legacy in this debate a little broad. (laughs) I don't think it would have because I think he would have beat y'all, Kenny. I don't think Uh, y'all would have beat Chicago. Can I ask you, so you really believe they would have won eight championships? I really believe they would have beat y'all. No, eight championships? That means they would have won eight in a row. I don't think that. Secondly, the reason I felt that we would have beat them, not because Michael wasn't the greatest player ever. Elijah Uh, was no joke. He was something special. But they were too small for us. Because remember, there was no Horace Grant. Remember, he was in Orlando. That was when all the contract stuff. Dennis Rodman wasn't there yet. He wasn't got there. Got you, got right, so you. No, so who's going to guard Dream? No, that, that impossible. It, it would have been an impossible task for them to guard Dream because he was getting easy buckets. That's in the era when three-point shooting was just starting to come around. No way, no how. We would have beaten the Michael Jordan Bulls you because had a, they were too little. You had and a large one. You had listen, Thorpe. You had yourself. Or and think Ori. about this. They, they, and they, no, they did, and Michael was there one year. He was wearing number 45, and nobody was complaining when, they, when he had 55 at the Garden. The reason they lost to the Orlando Magic, who we, by the way, we swept. Yes, you did. Who we swept, because they were too little. Mm-hmm. It was a, they were too little. That's a good point. I will say this to you. When I think about Jordan, I think about the team he won the three titles with, right. and then the three he won the second three titles with. We in might fair, not have in beaten fa- those in, in, fa- in fairness to you, that's the teams I'm talking about. I'm right. not talking about, oh, all right, Harvest Grant is going, Rob is not there yet. Y'all are too small. I, I got you there. I understand there that. You go. I'm there thinking you go. about I'm thinking about the three peat, the first three peat the squad, and the second three peat squad. I think both of those squads would have beat y'all. Well, that would be debatable. And I would say my my competitive spirit would say no. But my logical mind would be like, that makes sense. But them mm-hmm. teams that was there and, and just Michael, would, nah, we would have smacked right. them up. We would have smacked them. Before I let you get on out of here, man, talk to me about what the hell you, you're doing. Because I, I see, you know, you as a producer. I see you doing a little acting, okay? You were in Hustle with Adam Sandler. I, I remember I sort of, I was a part of the Showtime documentary series, uh, Point Guards. Y'all, was, y'all did y'all thing with that. That was special to see. Um, talk to me about 
your thoughts about New York City guards, particularly in this day and age, what it meant to the game of basketball, and, and, and more importantly, what your aspirations were, because clearly you ain't just doing the inside the NBA on TNT. You got a lot going on, as always. Yeah, well, production company is in full effect, you know. Uh, but actually, my, my son kind of signed me to Range Media to do that. Okay. And so it's been it's been great. You know, we did the Point Guards documentary, uh, you know, with uh, with Rich Kleiman and and yep. uh, and Kevin Durant. Katie, right. Uh, I did another show called Pathways, which was number one on TNT. Another documentary. Then we're doing. Then we did. Um, you know, I acted. So now I'm doing another project with Adam Sandler that will okay. be coming out. It's a scripted series. So yeah. You know, yeah. all putting the, I, I got to get you in your acting bug. I might have to put you in the, in the, in you the know, scripted series. I'm, I'm getting ready to take an acting lessons this because, you know, I got a recurring role on a soap opera general hospital. I just decided they keep telling me I could act. I finally decided to listen to them and say, wait a minute, maybe like, I should take some acting lessons because they say, you, Stephen, hey, you got, I'm going to do it this summer. I'm going to do without it this summer. Question. We got you, brother. <laughs> I got you. I got a great part for you, too. Oh, Lord, knowing <laughs> you, I'm scared to think about it. I'm scared <laughs> to think about it. What's the name of your production company? Uh, it's uh, it's KSEG, uh, Kenny okay. Smith Entertainment Group. All right, all right, all right. I hear you on that. And by the way, before I let you get on out of here, the guards, history of New York City is you. Uh, my favorite of all time, Dwayne Pearl Washington on the collegiate level. I still say to this very day, he was the greatest show in the history of college basketball. Without question. The greatest he, show. Yeah, he, he was probably the great. Yeah, he's the greatest show. He's a great show in college basketball. You, Mark Jackson, Rod Strickland, Kenny Anderson, Stephon Marbury. Can't leave them out. New York City guards. Uh, I mean, I got to give love where love is due. No question about it. How come in this day and age we don't see more guards from New York City excelling on the NBA level? It's prep schools. A lot of those kids, like, go to prep schools now. They don't stay in New York. They go outside. They go to Florida, IMG. They go upstate New York. Even a guy like Cole Anthony, people don't associate him with New York City, uh, but he's a New York City kid because he went down to Oak Hill. Like the prep school and the overtime elites and all of these different mediums, you don't stay in New York when you're great anymore. You know, at one time you had to stay in New York to be great. You don't have to do that anymore. And now with the NILs and everything, guys are going all over and going to schools all over. I know mm. on multiple occasions, their guards in, in the high school division now thought of as great. I know they started in New York City. Right. Last question. Are you a proponent of NIL? Do you approve of that? Do you like that? 100%. You know, college basketball is the only place where the employee was not getting paid. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. My man, I love you. I'm proud of you. Latest big thing that you're doing, no doubt about it. Talk of champions. Stories of the people who made me by the one and only Kenny Smith. Appreciate you, my man. Love you. Proud of my you, my man. man. Keep my doing man. your thing. You're my man. All right. And I'll see you soon. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? As I told y'all before, you can catch him on this side of the NBA with Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, Ernie Johnson, and the crew on TNT. Uh, obviously, the man knows his basketball and he knows a lot more about life based on the connections that he's had, the experiences that he's experienced, of course, the people that he's been close to, the mentors and advisors that he's learned from along the way. He's always 
providing teachable moments. And I appreciate it from my brother and my friend. One only Kenny Smith joining us here on No Mercy. Thanks so much. That's it for today, this, this, this episode and this edition of No Mercy. I got to get on out of here. I got some more playoff basketball to cover. Remember, as I always say, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. But it helps when you know a hell of a lot more than that. Stay tuned. Until next time. Peace and love, everybody. I'm out. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.